Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. form or you may have a Bible in the electronic form if you take that and open it up if you have a Bible in an electronic form and you play Angry Birds you will go to hell <laughs> not really but you might who knows um, uh, then I'd love you to turn to two places in the Bible and we're gonna do something a little bit different tonight you know whenever we do baptism services which you know we're very grateful to God that we're able to do baptism services a lot because you know people are seeing God transform their lives and we're able to witness their baptism we're able to hear their stories and it's a great thing but um, whenever we do baptism service I tend to speak an itsy bitsy talk you know we do 10 minutes and 15 minutes and we try and you know do this kind of thing and uh, I don't know what that is I'll sing a bit and dance a bit and we'll tell some stories. And tonight I, wanted, I really want us to go after something. We started um, a conversation this week which we're going to continue over the next two weeks in a series that we've called Giveology, which I know is not a word, but it's okay. We're going to stay with it. The concept is this, that God is really interested in what we do with our stuff and our money and our possessions. And he's particularly interested that most people in this world at this current moment in time have a dysfunctional understanding and relationship with their stuff and their money and the way in which they want money or don't want money or are anxious about money or feel guilty about money or, or desire more money or, or have too much stuff or think they don't have enough stuff. Or, or There is this dysfunctional relationship between most human beings and stuff. And God has got an awful lot to say. And so the ambition that I have over the next wee while, I've just become Scottish. See what I did there? Over the next wee while, or Northern Irish, in fact, everything in Northern Ireland is we. Have you noticed that? We this, we that. Uh, my, my ambition over the next period of time is that we begin to get free around our stuff. Is that God wants you to be free. He's a good, good God. And he wants to give you good, good things. And he wants those good, good things to pour through your life to other people so that they would also know that there is a good, good God. And so we're going to turn to two places in the scriptures and we're going to go after this thing and it's going to require full attention, okay? So every now and again I'm going to go, full attention! And we're going to be, we're going to be on it. I won't actually do that, but that's the idea. So Luke's Gospel, chapter 12... And we're going to take a look at what Jesus has to say. And then, so I want you to get your marker in Luke 12. And if you, if you haven't got a Bible, you can you probably nudge someone next to you and they'll show you what, what's what. We, we, we always try and teach from the Bible because we believe the Bible to be the Word of God. God is speaking. God has got things to say to us for our lives today, deeply applicable. And so I also want you to turn left from Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. Um, if you see what I mean. And I want you to go to a book called Malachi. A book called Malachi, it's, it's the last book of the Old Testament. It's just before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I want you to go to Malachi chapter 3, and I want you to take a piece of paper, maybe even the Givology piece of paper you had on your chair, and I want you to stick it in that marker because we're going to go there. Okay? Who's with me? 
Seven of you. Brilliant. That's an advance on the morning. Let me just pray for us. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. Because this is your word. We believe you want to speak to us. Change our hearts, change our minds, challenge us that we might walk with you. So come Holy Spirit, have your way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with a concept that God is a giver. God's a giver. In fact, if you were to take the whole of the biblical record from Genesis all the way to, through to Revelation and you had to make up one two-word sentence out of the whole Bible, you might come up with something really cool. You, you know because some of you have hung around school enough to know that a two-word sentence is possible. You need a subject and you need a verb, don't you? So Carl ran would be a good enough sentence. So what would be the sentence if you had to have a subject and a verb that, that encapsulated the whole of the Bible? It's almost an impossible question. Probably some of you are gonna think about it overnight and worry about what I just said. Don't worry about it. Here it is, I think. The subject has to be God, doesn't it? I mean, you're the object, God loves you, he's got a plan for your life, he's, he's, he's for you, not against you, despite what this world would wanna say, he's got a big, big plan. You're the, you're the object, but he's the subject. What does God do? What's the verb? What's the doing word? Well, there's probably a whole bunch of different answers to that. God loves, of course. God draws people, of course. But what about God gives? God gives. I mean, I mean, after all, the greatest verse in the whole of the scripture, kind of the Everest point of the whole of scripture is John chapter three, verse 16. And if you don't know any verse of scripture, you probably know that verse of scripture. It says this, for God so loved the world that he gave. God gives. And if you've hung around church and you know, you've read your Bible a bit and you went to Sunday school, all that kind of stuff is probably, yeah, yeah, well, God gives, big, big deal. But, but actually, if you haven't hung around church very much, that's a big deal. Because you probably think God takes. I mean, God is gonna take my freedom. God is gonna take my stuff. God is after my, my life. God wants to restrict me. God wants to constrict me. God wants to tie me down in some kind of way. No, 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 God gives. God gives his only son. God loves abundantly. God is for you totally. God is a giver. And some of you are coming in thinking, oh man, church, money, they're always after your money. It's a really tough deal. And then they do that really weirdy, weird thing with the, with the blue bags that pass you by. I mean, where else in the world would you get that kind of thing happening? And then the person leading worship comes up here and says something that's a little bit embarrassing about it. if you've not come to, you know, you've not come prepared, don't allow the bag to pass you by, all that kind of stuff. And it's a bit weird. Well, here's the thing. I want to free us even from that. So in three weeks' time, when we have finished this series, there'll be no more blue bags ever in this church. Which means two things. One, we've got to find a different way for people to give generously. Secondly, you've got to give really big in the next two weeks. 
otherwise the treasurer will kill me about getting rid of the blue bags. But the reason is this. We don't want to be pushing bags in people's faces saying, you know, somehow we've got to squeeze money out of you as if God needs your cash. I want us to give abundantly and generously and hilariously as a natural order the way in which we live our lives in response to a God who is a giver. And I promise you this, if you hang around this series over the next three weeks, it's gonna challenge you. You perhaps are not gonna like some stuff. There's gonna be some things that we're gonna say about finances and living according to God's economy. But if you stay the course and you allow the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do in your life, it will change you. It'll change your perspective. And it'll change the way in which you act. So turn with me to Luke chapter 12. And Jesus is speaking. And, um, and he's, he's being questioned by a guy. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Don't you think it's fascinating that this guy gets one opportunity to speak to the savior of the world <laughs> and he asks him to mediate in a family dispute? I mean, really? What would you ask Jesus if you got a chance? He says, I want you to sort out the cast because my brother's being mean to me. Wow. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you, what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Now flip to verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom sell your possessions and give to the poor provide purses for yourself that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also i, I want tonight to begin to take you on a journey that's going to take three weeks and the journey that's going to take three weeks is a journey towards financial freedom, both in your heart and with your bank account. And I think it's possible. But before we get into any of the exegesis of this particular chapter of Scripture, I need to give you one particular concept. If you nail this, you can get a chance at nailing everything else. I wonder if you've, how many people here have got a wallet or a purse on them right now? Hands up. Wallet or purse on. How many people, keep your hands up, if you think in your wallet or your, take your wallet or your purse out, if you will. It's okay, no one's going to steal it. This is church. <laughs> ha ha, you think. Um, could you check if you have 
100 pounds, and I know some of you are students, but I know also what kind of students some of you are. Um, <laughs> just check it out. I mean, if you've got 100 pounds, if anybody's got 100 pounds in their wallet, and, listen, and, 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 you would be willing to come and give it to me as a gift, and you will never see it again. Okay? That's the deal. Anyone's got a hundred pounds, anybody's got a hundred pounds in their wallet that they would like to come to give to me as a gift, and they've got someone coming here. That's, really? You got a hundred quid? I'm gonna count it. It's a hundred quid, give this guy a round of applause. Look at that, it's looking amazing. That's a hundred quid. That's wonderful, isn't it? That, that's, a, that's a meal for Nikki and I later on. Thank you so much, Stuart. That's, that's brilliant. Here's the biblical principle. You ready for this? It's going to come up on the screen behind us. God owns everything. God owns everything. Say it after me. God owns everything. God owns everything. That, that, that's the, the, the fundamental biblical principle around your finances and your stuff. God owns everything. Why does he own everything? Because he created everything and he sustains everything. He names stuff, it's his, he owns it. And the first time that he speaks to humanity about their role in life, he says to them, I want you to manage the stuff that I own. I want you to steward the stuff that I own. It totally belongs to me. And here's the biggest mistake that humanity makes. It starts beginning to believe that it owns it. I, I, I owned it, I worked hard for it, I, I own it, it's mine. And when God says, I want you to give some of my stuff and I want you to have a heart of generosity and I want you to share stuff around and I want you to move towards simplicity, we say, but, 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 it's ours, we own it, it's, it's, it's mine, I earned it, I deserve this stuff and we've moved very quickly from stewardship to ownership. Why, why was Stuart willing to come and give me a hundred pounds apart from the fact that he's the nicest guy that I know and, and I'm one of the nicest guys in the world anyway. I tell you, because I gave him a hundred pounds about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> and I said to him, when I ask for a hundred pounds, this lot are tight, there's nobody in the room that's gonna give me a hundred quid. But I want you to come with a hundred quid and I want you to give it to me. And why was he willing to come? There was no emotional fight in his heart and life. There was no wrestle with, well, if I give him the 100 pounds, then, then I won't be able to take my wife out for a meal, and I won't be able to spend this, or I won't be able to pay that, or I won't be able to feed the kids. No, no, no. He knew it was mine, and, I, and he'd been instructed to give it back to me. The same is true with our relationship with God. If you begin to think you own the stuff, then you find it really difficult to be obedient to the voice of God when he says, I want you to give the stuff. I want, to, I want you to leverage the stuff of your life so that you would be a conduit of my blessing. And we think, no, 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 but we earned that stuff and we worked hard and we went to university and we did really, really hard stuff at university and then we, we worked hard and we've got this stuff and it's ours. Do you know, this morning I did exactly the same thing and I gave it to a guy called Eddie and he came up with 100 quid and as he was coming up, another guy called Lawrence came up with another 100 quid. So I'm like, quid's in. <laughs> and here's, here's the thing. Lawrence this morning had a hundred pounds in, in his wallet and he never ever carries money. It's a bit like the queen and if you know him, there's some truth in that. And, and, and <laughs> strike that from the recording. And, 
And, and, and here's the thing, earlier on in the week, he went to the hole in the wall and he, he just had this feeling that he needs some money this week and it's been five days, he's not used any of that money, he had 100 pounds in his wallet and God just said to him, this is why you're supposed to use the money. Isn't it interesting what God does? When your hands are like this, God can use you. If you can be trusted with his stuff, he can pour more stuff in. You, you and your life and my life is supposed to be a conduit of the blessing of God. But the moment that you start owning stuff, your hands that are supposed to be like this become like this. And the stuff that you own begins to own you. And then we've got a problem. A big problem. Luke's Gospel and chapter 12. Jesus encounters this guy. And, and, the, and the issue that he's trying to deal with is this. Whose economy are you going to buy into? Who, whose economy are you going to buy into? Who, who are you going to trust for your life? What authority are you going to stand the weight of your life upon? Yours or God's? The world's or the Father's? And he meets this guy. The guy says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus says this, take care and be on your guard against all greed or covetousness is the word that's it's better translated. Be on your guard. It could have been a commentary written for this generation. Be on your guard against all greed and coveting because it will destroy your heart. It's the stuff of our world, isn't it? It's what the advertising industry has made billions around, encouraging you that you need stuff that you didn't even know existed yesterday. Do you know what I mean? When I get in a car with a heated driver's seat, I didn't even know they existed. And then tomorrow I need one because it's Scotland and it's cold and I have to have a car with a heated driver. And why? God, you're so unfair. <laughs> I need a car with a... Do you know? And so often, here's the thing, it's not the stuff itself that's the issue. It really isn't. It's, it, it's the fact that I want a social status and those kind of people have those kind of things or it's, it's I want some security and I really can't trust that my heavenly father is going to provide for me so I have to store up things for myself or I want some comfort and I'm not sure that God at the center of my life is really going to provide the kind of comfort that I need so I'm going to need some stuff in my life that's going to be a distraction from serving God and before you know it you're you're enmeshed in this stuff and just in case you think that this preacher guy is standing up here and he's got it all sorted and it's not difficult for him and it's okay for you and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let me tell you a little bit about my struggle with this stuff. I, I don't find it easy. I grew up in a pastor's house. My dad was a minister. We had, there were four of us, four boys. And uh, we never had a lot. We always were in the kind of free school meal queues and it was a bit embarrassing at times and we always had everyone's hand-me-down stuff and we never could buy the trendy clothes and all that kind of thing. And it's, not, it's not a pity, pity story because we had a great life but we didn't have a lot of stuff and I was always worried that my parents wouldn't be able to pay for things because there was a bit of debt around as well and that was a bit embarrassing. And so once a year when, when my dad would take us out for our Christmas meal, our Christmas treat, we went once a year for a meal. Every single one of my brothers and I took all our pocket money in our pockets because we thought dad wouldn't be able to pay for this stuff. And, and here's the thing, it, it's not a pity story, but what it does to your heart is interesting. It means that I have to be very, very careful about living in lack. 
I have to be really, really careful that I'm not always worried that actually my heavenly father will not provide. So when I get something, I want to hold on to it and make sure that we're secure because I don't want to be in debt and I don't want to be worried about the stuff. And if you think I'm immune to all the covetousness things, that's a piece of nonsense as well because I love stuff. Really, I've got shoe pornography. I totally love it. I can be sitting in bed at night looking at my iPad. Nikki's not worried about proper pornography. She's worried about the fact that I'm on eBay checking out a pair of vintage shoes because I, to- I, know, I know this is not very masculine, but I totally love it. I, love, I totally love shoes and, 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 and I want a nice car. I want a nice car. I'd love a nice car. You know, I really would. It's just me. I, I, I've still got this stuff going on in my life, so I'm not immune from the stuff. But Jesus says, hey, be very, very careful about your heart. Be very careful about your heart. Because if you're striving for stuff, you're not striving for me. And if you're not striving for me, you're living according to the economy of this world and it will ultimately eat you up and destroy you. And then Jesus gives this kind of showcase of the economy of this world. And he says, there was this guy, he's an incredible businessman, he's made a load of money, he's got, he's got loads and loads of crops, and he, he decides quite rationally, according to a free market economy, that you should have a big barn and fill, and fill your barn up with stuff, and then when, when it gets too full, you knock down that barn and you build a bigger barn, and then when that gets too full, you knock down that barn and you build a bigger barn. And then he says to himself, according to exactly the way in which we think, he says to himself, well, I'm just going to kick back and retire early pina colada and flip-flops and you know sun and golf handicap and it's just going to be amazing and Jesus says you fool you fool do you really think that's the stuff of your life do you, do you really think that's what it's all about do you really think you're just about getting more money and building bigger barns and getting bigger security for yourself and one day going uh, and, and living somewhere warm and having a whole bunch of friends who are all trying to get a great handicap and talking about the latest operation they just had on the national health service do you know is that really what it's all about it's not wrong but it's not best and jesus says hey if, if you buy into this, there's a certain rhythm and pattern that's going to develop in your life which will ultimately kill the kingdom life in you. And there's a goal at the end of the day that doesn't sound an awful lot like the kingdom. The rhythm and pattern is this. You're going to try and get as much money as you can so you can be as secure as you possibly can so that when you bring up your kids, they can go. you can buy a house in the right area so you can send them to the right schools so they can do well at school and then get to university and get a really good job so they can buy the same house in the same area so their kids can go to the same school where they're going to do really well out of life and they can go to university and they can get a good job and their kids can buy the same house and and before you know it you're just on this kind of hamster wheel which is nuts and God says I made you for more than this you want to live according to the economy of this world that's the best you're going to do and one day you're going to do this retirement thing. In fact, this is the only place in the scriptures, as far as I can work it out, where, where God talks about retirement, and it's not particularly positive. 
I don't see anywhere where there is such a thing as retirement, which doesn't mean God doesn't want you to kick back and relax and have a great time, because he does. He's not a killjoy God. He doesn't mean he doesn't want you to have good things and great holidays and go to the sun and drive a nice car and have amazing shoes. He, he, he loves you so much. He's got an incredible plan for your life. But guys, there's no retirement in the kingdom of God. There are kids that need mentoring and that need spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. There's wisdom that you have and just because you can't run as fast as you used to run, your brain has not lost its elasticity and you can think well and you've got wisdom and you've got things to input into people's lives. There is no retirement in the kingdom of heaven. And all that is an aside to saying, Jesus says that the fundamental problem of this guy's God is that he is at the center of his world. He's at the center of his financial world. If you look to the passage, the amount of times when he says it's mine, I, it belongs to me, I will do this, I'm gonna make this happen, I'm gonna, Jesus says, you fool. You're buying into the world's economy and you've ignored the economy of the kingdom of God where you live as a giver as a generous kingdom giver, where you cooperate with what the Father is doing in this world, where you sow into his kingdom. It's massive stuff. It's huge stuff. So, God owns everything. I get to manage it. He's a giver. My security and my comfort can't exist in my stuff. That's nuts. Life is bigger than getting on a hamster wheel and getting a great golf handicap at the end of the day and then dying. Good. <laughs> let, me, let me give you a framework for freedom. And I'm going I'm to do something that's really dangerous, particularly on an evening like this and particularly at the start of a series on giving. I, I want to redeem a word by which I mean I want to buy it back. I want to buy back a word because I think there's a word that's used in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament that's got a bad rap in Christian circles, but actually is God's tool to begin to free us so that we can live his economy. Understand that? And here's, here's the word, the word is tithe. Gosh, some of you are thinking, oh man, here's where he's gonna start talking about putting a thermometer up the side of the church and getting people to give, no, 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 no. no. But, but, but here is a tool that is gonna get you free if you can stand long enough in the gaze of it. Let's study a verse in the Old Testament. Go back with me to, to the book of Malachi in chapter three. And the key verse in Malachi chapter three, this is obviously the prophetic writings. This is 400 years before Jesus comes on the scene. And, and the prophet Malachi says in Malachi verse, chapter three verse 10, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse. Now the tithe was something that God had set up it was 10% minimum of the first of what God had given. I want you to give 10%, says God, as a recognition of the fact that everything belongs to me. I could ask for 90%, but I'm only gonna ask for 10. And I want you to give it to me, and I need you to trust me that this is a way to get you free. This is a way that you can begin to live the kingdom economy. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse was the temple. It was where the people of God gathered. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now, the context of this is God says in the beginning of Malachi chapter three, I, the Lord, do not change. In other words, I'm, I'm totally immutable. There's no changing in me, there's no shadow of turning, which makes us begin to think that everything he's about to say is stuff that is eternal. It's not stuff that's gonna shift, it's not stuff that's gonna be contextual, it's not stuff that's gonna be cultural, everything he's about to say is stuff that is for all time. I, the Lord, do not change. And then he says to his people, I want you to return to me. Guys, listen, God is always calling people back to himself. It's what he's always doing. You may have come here tonight and you're a million miles from God and you don't even know what's going on. You're thinking, this guy's talking about money. I don't know what's going on here. But you're a million miles from God and God is always in the business of calling you back to him. Saying, you know, if you run from me, you don't just run from the the concept of me. You run from the reality of me. If you run from me, you run from the source of wisdom, so no wonder you end up doing stupid. If you run from me, you run from the source of love, so no wonder you start looking for love in all the wrong places. If you run from me, you run from the source of purpose in life, so no wonder you find yourself struggling for purpose and purposeless, because because you're running from me, and God is always trying to draw people back and saying, would you come back to me into a relationship with me? And the people of God say, how can we return to you? And then God says something absolutely ridiculous. Because you know what he should say. He should say, well, you need to pray harder. You need to read your Bible a lot. You need to worship quite a bit. Come to church an awful lot and just be really good people. No, he doesn't say that. He says this. Stop robbing me. Stop robbing me. Wow. And the people have got to say, how are we robbing you? I don't think we're robbing you. Because you don't want to be robbing God. And he says, in tithes and offerings. God has set up this whole system. The first 10% goes to him. And really it's a way to say, God, I am investing in your economy. I'm trusting you to invest in my economy and look after my life because I'm investing in yours because you own everything. Why does he ask for 10%? Because he knows the temptation of your heart to begin to think that you own everything. And he knows how bad that's gonna go for you. Because he knows the pull of stuff and self and how that imprisons people and how well that's going to go for you. And he says, if you would just honor me with this, if you would just invite me into the arena of your finances, you're not going to have to carry all your financial weight on your own for the rest of your life. I'm going to carry it for you. You don't have to be anxious and you don't have to be guilty and you don't have to be worried about the whole thing the whole time because I'm a good, good father and I've got it, but you have to make the first move. You see, the tithe, it unprizes your hands. And then generosity will unprize your heart. And then the people of God can make a real dent in this world. And so, 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 so Malachi says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There'll be food in this house. Test me, says the Lord Almighty. And see that I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour in so much blessing that you will not have room for it. In other words, if you begin to act in this way, if you begin to make the first move, if you begin to trust me in this, if you begin to take a risk in this stuff, you better watch out. 
Because all the resources of heaven are coming on you because suddenly you can be trusted because I know you've bought into my economy. I know that I can trust you with my stuff and so I'm going to pour more stuff in so that you can pour more stuff out so that you don't just become this big fat receptacle of the... I don't know where that came from. You don't just become this big fat receptacle of the grace of God. You become this incredible wide conduit of the grace of God. You invest with your stuff, says God. I will begin to invest with my stuff. See, God doesn't need your money. He totally does not need your money. And if implicitly we've ever said that God needs your money, even by sticking a blue bag in your face, I am so sorry, because God does not need your money, but he does want your heart. Because he knows how it's going to go for you if you continue to sow into the economy of me, myself, and I. He knows how that's going to go for you. It goes no place, no, no place good for you. But if you will sow into the kingdom of God. Why first fruits? Why does he want you to go first? Let me talk particularly to some of you guys who are students here, who, um, who have no intention, of, who never give. Which, um, this is not me having a beat up with you, okay? I'm going to sit down so it doesn't look really intimidating. Some of you just don't, you know, you know but here's the thing. God says, I want you to give your first, your first fruits. Why? I want the first direct debit. I want the first amount of money. Why? Because it just says, God, I honor you. You're God. You own it. I trust you. I'm asking you to bless me. I need you. That's what it says. You know, Nikki and I, every now and again, we'll cook a really nice meal for friends. And we'll, we'll, we'll go to town. I mean, we'll go cordon bleu-tastic. We'll buy food at Waitrose. We don't even know what it is. And we'll kind of mix it together and we'll make up something incredible. What we never do is this. We never do that the day before the people are coming. And say to our kids, just have at it. We've got this incredible food. It's cost us a lot of money. We've mixed it all in together. We've made it up. We don't even understand what that fruit is from Waitrose, but we're going to eat it. It's going to be a wonderful thing. And the kids just have an incredible meal. And then when our friends come around the next day, we're in our pajamas watching House of Cars or something like that. And we say to our friends who walk in, hey, come and join us in a minute. The food's in the fridge. If you want to help yourself, there's some leftovers from yesterday. And if you want to just stick it in the microwave, we can heat the whole thing up. It's going to be great for you. Just bring it, we'll stick it on our laps and we'll just eat. You'd never do that, would you? You've invited your friends around so you give them a really good meal and you as a family, you have the leftovers the next day. So why do we do it to God? Why do we do that to God? Why do we say, well, we're going to pay the mortgage, we're going to get out of debt, we're going to give our kids stuff, we're going to go on an amazing holiday, we're going to, or whatever it is, we're going to feed ourselves, and then whatever loose shrapnel we have in our pockets on a Sunday, we're going to dip them in the blue bag, and then we're going to think that we're investing in the kingdom of God. God says, no, 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 no. That's actually disrespectful. See, I, I own everything. I own everything. And I'm inviting you into a relationship where you invest in my kingdom and I invest in yours. So the question is this, and then we'll finish it. Can you trust God? Can you trust God? The principle is this. Every area in your life that you want God to bless, you need to put him first. 
You want your finances blessed? I'm not saying, I'm not saying that if you give God money, he's gonna give you double back. I don't, I don't know. He, he, he's a God who blesses you and I'm not promising that in any way, shape or form, so don't hear that. But what I'm saying is in any area in your life, you wanna know the blessing of God, you have to put him first. So if you want blessing in your study, you put him first with your study. If you want blessing with your finances, you put him first. If you want blessing in your family, you put him first. You say, God, you are God and I am not. And there is a throne and you sit on it. You sit on it in my life. And I'm standing the weight of my life on you because there is no other that can be trusted. And I'm doing it with my finances. Tell you, God will bless you. I don't know anybody who loves Jesus and is blessed who doesn't follow this principle. Really, I do not know anybody. I know a bunch of people who tell me that what, I'm about, what I've just said is a piece of nonsense and I don't see an awful lot of blessing in their life. Can God be trusted? Well, come back to Luke chapter 12 with me and we'll finish with this. Because I think, I think Jesus knows that that's a question that's going to be asked. I think he kind of gets that you're sitting there going, well, if I, if I tithe the gift I've just been given, can, he, can God really be trusted that, that, that it's going to work out for me? If, if, if I start to give God abundantly and generously, if I start to give to people, if I start to sow into that homeless ministry, if I start to give to that church, if I start doing these things, can God be trusted? Am I going to be okay? Jesus says, I want you to know this. Do not be afraid. Verse 32, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He says, you don't need to be afraid because your God is a shepherd. You're the flock, but he's the one who guides. You will lack no good thing because he's the good shepherd. He's going to look after you. You don't need to be worried because he's a father. You know, God's got a really bad press out there for being some kind of traffic cop God who's out to get you. But the main, the main description of God in the scriptures is that he's, he's a father and he loves you. And he's got a soft spot for you. Do you know, my kids know that if they want something and it's a bit dodgy, if they ask mum, the answer's gonna be no. If they ask me and they, they know how to ask me, the answer's usually yes, because I'm soft. In those kind of ways. The three girls that are here this evening don't pay any attention to what I just said. <laughs> because I'm soft in those kind of ways and your heavenly father is soft towards you. He's going to give you good things. He's going to look after you. He has a good plan for your life. It's better than the plan that you have for your life. And he has joy in his heart for you. You can trust him. Can you trust God? Yeah. Jesus says he's a king. He's a king, which means that, he, in fact, he's the king of kings and he's the lord of lords. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which is my general response to any budgetary question in the church. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Of course we can do it, plant churches, do things, spend money. But here's the thing. Your God is a king and he loves you deeply and he's got all the resources of heaven that he's willing to pour out in your behalf. So you can trust him. The choice is yours. Are you going to live according to the economy of this world where you're at the center? Or are you going to live according to the economy of God where he's at the center and he gets to look after your financial life? I, I often preach 
I know that was really challenging and in your face. But I, I often preach sermons and I say, do you know what? I'm all in. I'm all in for Jesus. He saved me. He's transformed my life. He's changed stuff. He's real. He's alive. He heals people. He changed. I'm all in. But sometimes I'm pretty convicted that maybe I'm not. It's kind of like I go, I'm all in, but I hold this bit back here. You know, I'm, I'm all in, but that, I'm looking after that. That's my stuff. And, and often it's around the resources and the finances of my life. You know, God, you can have every part. You can have every part of me, but let me deal with this. Because I mean, it's, like, it's ridiculous as if I know anything about that part of my life. Somehow that's going to provide me with comfort and security. And, and God says this. Would you test me in this? It's about the only time in the scriptures where he uses that phrase. Would you test me in this? In other words, why don't we just see whether what I've just said is true? Why don't we just see whether, whether if you start to sow into the kingdom of God and you do so intentionally in a way that honors me, your life will not be blessed. Why don't you test me in this? So here's the thing, here's my challenge. Either this is true or it's not. Either God can be trusted or he can't. Either he's a good king, good father, and he's a shepherd or he isn't. So why don't you just take the next nine months and just speak to those of you who are, who are part of the church here. Why don't you just take the next nine months and you say, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start to honor God with the first fruits. I'm going to start to honor God with the first 10%. And if you're already doing that, maybe you want to increase that. You say, this is my way of sowing into the kingdom of God and asking God to look after me. And here's, here's the test. If after nine months of you intentionally sowing into the kingdom of God, God has not blessed your life, you can stop. I don't, I don't, mean, I don't mean, you know, suddenly you become a millionaire or you won the lottery miraculously because you never buy a lottery ticket. Or, or whatever, whatever it is. I, I don't mean you get a windfall. I don't, I don't mean necessarily it's a financial blessing. What I mean is this. If your life is not freer, if your perspective hasn't changed, if you don't know the blessing of God, if you don't know greater intimacy in your relationship with him, if you can't point to ways in which he has blessed your life, then you can, you can stop doing it because God didn't pass the test. But here's the, here's the rider. If he passes the test, why don't you commit the rest of your life to living in this way according to a different economy? Because God can be trusted. And why don't you sow bigger and longer and deeper? Because God can be trusted. Let me just pray for us. Father, that was, um, that was pretty heavy and pretty direct. We love the fact that you deal with money and the real stuff of life. And we love the fact that you have answers for us. But Father, we trust you and we love you. And we ask just in these moments that you would deal with our hearts. that you would expose our hearts. Not, not, not the, the numbers, but, but what's going on in our hearts. 
the fear that we have, the anxiety that we have, the concern that we have, the greed that we have, the desires that we have, and what that all means and why that's there. And I pray that all over the building this evening there will be premeditated principle decisions being made. I want to live according to the kingdom of God. I want to learn how to sow into the kingdom of God. I want to learn to sow in such a way that people know there is a father in heaven who loves them. I want to learn to sow in such a way that homeless people get houses and, and sick people get healed and lonely people get included and kids that need fostered get fostered because that's the stuff of the kingdom of God. I want to sow in that kind of way. I want to live generously. So Father, I pray for a spirit of generosity to break spirit of greed. And I pray over this series that there may be a, a line in the sand drawn that says we will live according to the economy of the king of kings and not according to the economy of a world that's broken. And we will not waste our life running after things that really have no worth and one day they will be useless to us anyway. And we will not spend our goals and dreams dreaming of something that seems incredible to us but is a nightmare according to the kingdom of God. And we will learn how to serve your purposes. So Holy Spirit, would you come and would you just convict and convince us around this stuff? And anything that was really fleshy and of the preacher and unhelpful, would you blow it away on the wind? And anything that was of your spirit, would you sink into our hearts that it might make an eternal difference. We ask this in Jesus' name.